Thank you for listening to the Alliance Church Podcast. We desire to connect you with God and one another, whether here in Wisconsin or around the world. Let's listen into this week's message. It's been a little bit uh, overwhelming for Judy and I the last couple of weeks. Thank you so much for your good wishes. And many of you have written me, sent me emails. Thank you. Uh, I've had lots of flashbacks. I had a flashback yesterday of something. Judy and I were calling, coming here uh, in uh, the winter of uh, 97. And I remember driving up uh, the week before I was going to actually drive up with Judy and the kids in our van back. I had two vehicles. I had a little red Tercel. So I told the church, I'm going to drive up a week ahead of time with the Tercel, drop it off somewhere, then fly back and then drive up with Judy and the kids. And uh, a guy in the church that time, he's with the Lord now, Bob Omdahl, he called me up. He said, Pastor, you can, you can keep your Tercel in my little barn. I got a red barn, and that's out. we're out in the country a little bit. And you can keep it there. The only uh, requirement is you got to play broom ball with us on Saturday. Broom ball. What the heck is broom ball? So I said, okay. So I drive out to this place, and I put my little Toyota there in the the barn. He gives me a broom. I go on the ice. And I really didn't get to play much because it was pretty crowded. A lot of people from the church at that time, and they all start coming up to me and start talking to me. I'm the new preacher in town, and so they all want to get to know me and tell me who they are. And so I'm talking to all these people. I'm standing there with the broom for about 15 minutes, and I'm watching. There's a whole bunch of kids on the side, probably about seven or eight kids there. And one of the kids must have been about six or seven years old. He comes walking over. He waits in line. He comes up to me. He goes, hey, can I ask you a question? I said, yeah, what's the question? He says, What's the big deal? Everybody wants to talk to you. <laughs> I kind of felt that way. Uh, you know, there's we, a lot of big deal going on here, and I'm not sure what it's about. Um, this is not a farewell sermon. I hope you know that. This is not goodbye, you know. Got to remember, C.S. Lewis said that Christians should never say goodbye. Uh, I'm going to remain on this great staff in a different role. They're giving me the, titus, uh, the title... Pastor Emeritus. And so I figured out, I better find out what that is. <laughs> so I studied the word. It's a Latin word. The prefix E means out. Meritus means you deserve it. I'm out because I deserve it. <laughs> Pastor Emeritus. No, this is, uh, it's not a goodbye. Um, hopefully be here for some time in the background. That's what I've asked all our older leaders to do. Let's get in the background and let's give this over to younger leaders. And uh, I think it's happened. I really do. I think we've been able to make that turn uh, of succession well. Judy and I are going to take a little break. We won't be here uh, for the next five months. Uh, we're going to do a little bit of traveling, so I appreciate your prayers as we kind of take a break and try and embrace all of this and uh, understand what God wants us to be and do in that role. I have lots of people to thank for the 25 years I've been here, and I'll do that tomorrow night. But for my last message, and I gave a lot of prayer and thought to this, I decided to preach a message on sanctification. That's a big word. It means holy living. 
Now, you can't get more alliance than that. And uh, my main text is going to be actually my life verse, which is Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live. Dennis Episcopo no longer lives, but Christ lives in me. And this life, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So the title of this message is Christ in You, the Hope of Glory. And I'd like to begin by actually reading the statement, if you were to go to our statement of faith, and I tell people all the time, you know, when you join a church, yes, it's nice to like the pastor or the ministries of the church, but the most important thing when you join a church is what they believe. So you should go to the statement of faith. And here's what we, how we describe this thing called sanctification. It is the will of God that each believer should be filled with the Holy Spirit and be sanctified holy, being separated from sin and the world and fully dedicated to the will of God, thereby receiving power for holy living and effective service. This is both a crisis and a progressive experience wrought in the life of the believer subsequent to conversion. Now, I'd like to unpack this tonight so that you understand the promises that God has for you and what your part is and what God's part is, how he is sovereign over this and then what your responsibility is. I'm going to do that by, first of all, describing two scriptures, two important verses that I believe speak of the balance of this. And secondly, I want to talk to you about the key. There's a kind of a key that unlocks all of it so you can experience it personally. Okay, first the two Bible verses. First verse, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. Here it is. God made him, speaking of Jesus, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That verse is describing the believers standing before God. It's saying you and I have actually become the righteousness of God in Christ. God, in other words, God's made a trade. He has taken his righteousness and he's traded it for your sin. There's a trade that's happening. To be righteous is to be judged 100% morally right. No guilt, no sin. And it says Jesus, who had no sin, who was perfectly righteous, became sin. <clears throat> what does that mean? <clears throat> Excuse me. When he went on the cross, took all the sins of mankind, past, present, future sins, he took them upon himself. The New Testament says he became a curse for us. He became sin. Why? So that <clears throat> him taking that sin and becoming sin and dying pays the penalty for all of your sin and my sin. So that those who stop trusting in whatever they're trusting in, but put their total faith in that to justify themselves before God, not your righteousness, but his righteousness to be applied to you, the Bible says the person who comes to that kind of saving faith 
God imputes or deposits in your account his perfect righteousness so that when the Father looks at you, he says, not guilty. There's an accounting term, logizomai, that's used. He actually uh, reconciles your debt to God because of your sin. And now you are declared righteous, 100%, not guilty before a holy God. So the Bible is saying <clears throat> we are sanctified positionally. Anybody who's born again, anybody who has put their total faith in Christ and believed on him and surrendered to him as Lord, that person is declared righteous in God's eyes. Now, one of my deep concerns for the church and for Christians is that when you ask the average Christian about their soul, that not many people do that anymore. When I first became a pastor, you talked to people about their souls all the time. But when you, when you ask them about their spiritual life, what do they do? They don't tell you this stuff. They don't say, I know that in Christ, I'm right with God. What do they say? They talk to you about their experiences or their feelings. Very little scripture. Very little theology. Very little foundational belief of how they stand before God. <coughs> so they'll say things like, Pastor, I think I'm doing okay. I mean, I'm trying, I'm reading my Bible, going to church. Your relationship with God has absolutely nothing to do with how you feel at any given moment or your religious performance. It's not about what you're doing or what you're feeling at the moment. Christ in you is your hope of glory. It's not what you do that makes you holy or acceptable to God. It's not based on your feelings. You and you have to remind yourself of this every day. God made him who knew no sin to become sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. You stand holy before God, and that will never, ever change. Number two, second verse. Philippians 2, verses 12 to 13. This, this is a verse that has enough in it to offend everybody. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have already obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act according to fulfill his good purpose. There's two things going on there. The first is you... Working out your salvation. How? With fear and trembling. Important two words. So even, so even though positionally, God the Father looks at the Christian and says, perfectly righteous, not holy in my, uh, uh, not guilty in my eyes. Perfectly righteous. Even though the Father positionally looks at you like that, this verse is saying that you still have to work out your salvation. What's that talking about? I thought I'm not saved by my works. What is that talking about? Well, the, the verb tense is there to keep on working. In other words, keep out living, you know, keep living out this holy life with what? Fear and trembling. Why fear and trembling? Well, look. 
It's the same reason the cop is at the end of the street. You and I need a healthy fear of walking away from God and going back to our sinful lifestyle. Not because God's going to take away your salvation. That's not going to happen, Christian. Romans eleven twenty nine 29 says, for God's gifts and his call are what? What's the word? Irrevocable. He's never going to take it away. <clears throat> God never changes his mind about you. Never. But know that Christ will discipline you for your own good, just like a good parent will do that. And if you're determined to go your own way, you're going to be disciplined. So you work at, you keep on cooperating with what God's doing in your life towards holy living because you don't want to be disciplined. I think that's an important part of good parenting. I'm tired of going to doctor's offices and watching kids run their parents. And there's very little healthy fear of what mom or dad are going to say. There needs to be healthy fear of what will happen if your kid decides to be somebody different than the way they've been brought up. Anybody who tells you good relationships have nothing to do with fear has never read the Bible. The Bible says the beginning of wisdom is the fear of God. It's a healthy fear. It's not a cowering fear. It's a healthy fear. My, my dad uh, was a pretty strict disciplinarian, but, you know, he knew that I was going to be hanging out in, when I went to high school, and uh, not all of those friends and the relationships would be healthy. And so he took me aside before I became a freshman, before he, I went to high school, and he said, listen, you're going to go to high school now, and your friends are going to be your buds, and more important than us or anybody else, so I, I just want to tell you this. You're going to be exposed to drugs. You're going to be exposed to alcohol, doing some stupid things, and, you'll, and there'll be knuckleheads around you. Now, here's the deal. You hang around a knucklehead, you become a knucklehead. And Dennis, if you get arrested for doing any of that stuff, I'm telling you now, don't have them call this house. When you get one phone call, tell them, I can't call my father. Because he told me it would be better for me to stay at the police station than to come home. <laughs> and I believed him. Now, every time I was in front of that temptation, what happened? <laughs> my father's face came up. <laughs> yes, you ought to have a healthy fear of God disciplining you if you purposefully go off the road to do it your own way and go back to a sinful lifestyle. Sanctification does involve cooperating, having a spirit that I'm going to cooperate the holy life that God has called me to and, and empowered me for. You need to work at cooperating with God's sanctifying work, with fear and trembling. Look at what Peter says here in 2 Peter. He says his divine power, that's the Holy Spirit power. When he comes inside of you, he comes inside of you in the person of the Holy Spirit. His divine power has given us some things we need, everything we need for godly life through our knowledge of him who has called us by his own glory and goodness. 
Through these, he has given us this great and precious promises. Look, you got the promises of God as well, so that through them, you may participate in the divine nature, the holy nature, having escaped the corruption of the world caused by evil desires. But whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind and forgetting that they have been released from their past sins. All that is saying is you and I have been set up for success. Christian, you can do this. You can lead a holy life. Why? Not because of anything inside of you, but because Christ has come to live inside of you now in the person of the Holy Spirit, and everything you're going to need for this life is provided for you and him. You can say no to any sin. You can say no to any temptation. I don't care how much it's been built into your life in the past. Well, the problem is we begin lies. We, we believe lies. The, the enemy, he's a liar. He's constantly telling, oh, you can't, you can't defeat that. You can't fight that. Look at what you've been, look at what you did in the past. You can't fight that. He's constantly telling us lies. And you need to replace the lie with the truth. One of the books I read when I first became a believer was Alan Redpath's Christian, uh, Victorious Christian Living. I don't think it's in print anymore. And of course, he speaks about a, a common, it's been repeated many times, the illustration, but a, a businessman in South Africa who goes into a car showroom to buy a Rolls Royce car in South Africa. And he wants to know the horsepower of the engine. And the salesman says, I'm sorry, Rolls-Royce company never states the horsepowers of its engine. They argue back and forth. Well, if I'm gonna buy this car, pay all this money, I wanna know the horsepower. She finally agrees to contact the, co uh, the company in Derby, England. What's the horsepower of a Rolls-Royce engine? I got a customer here, needs to know that. Reply telegram came back, one word, adequate. <laughs> Christian, you have everything you need for this life of holiness. The Holy Spirit is adequate to make you holy. But there's a second part of the verse in Philippians. It says, as we're working out or cooperating with this holy life that God is going to develop in us now, it is actually God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. Paul is saying that you and I are so morally bankrupt that we can't even will ourselves to be holy. Never mind doing it. So it says, God promises to be at work in you to motivate you to will to a holy life, to work towards holiness and his good purposes. In short, you just have to cooperate as he does the work. You cooperate as he does the work. If you have any goodness in your life, it's not because of you. It's only because God is working in you. God is making you holy, and one day, one of the great promises, he'll complete the work when we're glorified in the next life. Philippians 1, being confident of this, Paul says, being confident of this, that who began the good work? He began the good work in you. We'll carry it on, not might, not might. We'll carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. But that leads me to the final point. The final point, one key word, it's in our statement of faith. 
that all of this hinges on, that all of this has to have one key thing that's got to go on in your life that you must experience is crisis. This is a crisis. And the crisis is this. Something inside of me needs to die. Something inside of me needs to die. Here's the verse, Luke chapter 9. Whoever wants to, then he said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple, Jesus speaking, must deny themselves, take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. Dietrich Bonhoeffer put it this way, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. Come and die. This death, of course, begins with death of self. That's why my life verse is Galatians 2.20. I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live. Dennis Episcopo, dead and gone. This life I live now, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave him for me. He's going to live his life through me. At some point in your life, you have, to, you have to allow Christ to kill that person inside of you, and you have to sign up for being a cross-bearer. People today, they do not understand this crisis. Here's what they think. The crisis is some external experience I'm, I'm going through. The death of a loved one, the loss of a job, a terrible tragedy in your life. That's not what God's talking about here. He's talking about an inner crisis that is present in every one of us of who's going to be in control, who holds the affections of my heart. Pastor, can people try and avoid this? They do it all the time. And I'll tell you how they do it. They try and avoid this crisis by living superficially, ignoring the reality of the spiritual battle that's going inside of, of them right now. God is calling them to die to their own will. And I'm convinced that most people live every day giving little thought to what's going inside their souls. They go from activity to activity to activity. Even believers do this. They absorb themselves in busyness, even church work. They take on more responsibilities till they are absolutely buried. And at the end of it all, they're escaping the reality of their inner spiritual crisis. They're in crisis and they don't even realize it. Listen, the crisis is not what's happening to you right now. It's the reality that you are unable to cope with God's demand on, the, on your life. He's calling you to surrender your will to him. And as I observe people struggling to find God in their life and, and meaning in their circumstances, the main reason... The main reason they are not experiencing more of God is because they're unwilling to die. They're unwilling to die to their own way. Look what Paul says here in Colossians 3. He says, since then you have been raised with Christ, Christian. 
Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For what? You died. You died. And your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Did a funeral last week for somebody who died of COVID. And often when I do a funeral, I use the picture, the, the scene in the Gospels of the rich young ruler, because I think it, 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 it makes it clear. Here you have a young man who goes to Jesus one day. He's looking in, into the eyes of the Son of God, and he says, I want to get to heaven. How do I get to heaven? And Jesus says, you know the Ten Commandments? And he starts reciting them. He says, all of them I have done. I think there's lots of people here who would say the same thing to Jesus. I don't lie. I don't cheat. I don't commit adultery. I've been faithful. I'm keeping the law. But in one statement, Jesus gets to the crisis. What needed to die for that young man was his, his priority of pleasure and money and possessions. And Jesus said, you get, I got to kill it. Do you remember what he did afterwards? He turned to his disciples and he said, listen, it's harder for the camel to go through the eye of a needle than the rich man to go to heaven. Remember what his disciples said? Lord, who can be saved? Jesus is not only uncovering the crisis in that man's life, he's uncovering the crisis in the disciples' lives of their materialism, and they don't even realize it. And do you remember what Jesus says right after that? Verse 26, he looked at them intently and he said, humanly speaking, it's impossible. But with God, everything is possible. There you go, there you go. There's the key. There's the answer to the crisis. The most important moment in your inner crisis is when you realize, I can't do this. With man, it's impossible. But with God, it's all possible. I want you to look at your life right now and all the challenges. And if you believe it can all be done with human effort, you are living very superficially and you are totally unaware of the awful crisis inside of you right now in your inner life. This life is impossible to live without God in control. Impossible. Listen, I, I, I'm in a new stage and I'm only at the beginning. But trust me, I've been learning that laying down my ministry is a crisis. And facing the call of God to let go of everything I've been doing for the last 40 years, it's beyond my own human ability. But with God, all things are possible. Listen, everything we're talking about here this morning begins, begins with one divine moment in your life, one divine visitation when God confronts you and you allow him to completely take over. For the rest of your life, you sign up to be a cross-bearer. The moment when you come to God to die, to self. 
So the dying daily, picking up your cross daily is an ongoing process of what was settled a long time ago when I was crucified with Christ. I remember my day. I remember my moment. I was 24 years old. March of 1980. I hadn't read a Bible. I picked up a Bible. I started reading a Jesus. I wasn't taught. It was really clear. Jesus was saying, Dennis, it's you or me that's going to sit on the throne of your life. And I, I never hear voices, but I, can, I knew God was calling me to die. To let him kill this person inside of me and raise up a whole new person in Christ. And he brought me to that place. I laid in my bed. And I just remember saying to him, Lord, I know I'm not the standard I need to be. I can't do this. Humanly, it's impossible. I said to him, I'll, I'll do whatever you want me to do. I'll be whatever you want me to be. I'm yours. I, I didn't realize what was happening at that moment, but Christ came in and he killed that old person to raise up a whole new person in Christ. And I signed up that day to become a cross-bearer. I gave up my rights. I gave up control. And I want to remind you that whatever circumstances you're going through right now is not the crisis. It's not the crisis. It's only uncovering what's going on in your soul where God may be calling you to come and die, to give up your rights, to give up control, and allow him to be your Savior and your Lord. With man, impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Please stand for closing prayer. I believe, God, at this moment, you are calling someone to die. To let you be God for the first time in their life. Stop trying to fix it. Stop trying to be the person you want to be but to come to you empty-handed and say, nothing in my hands I bring, simply to that cross I cling. Oh, God, I know for those of you, that those that you have prepared for this moment will surrender their lives to you, and you will begin to make them into the person, the new creature, the new person that they've always wanted to be. Thank you, God, for the miracle, the absolute miracle of the new birth. Thank you for calling us and chasing after us and catching us and bringing us to yourself. We belong to you. Now may God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
the one who calls you is faithful. And he will do it. And God's people said, Amen. Amen.